Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include an improvement in the job market, my interview with Polinsky Vital Greens, Marty Green, on a variety of timely economic subjects, and how the conflict in the Middle East could affect mortgage rates. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Encino, makers of the Encino Mortgage Suite for the modern mortgage lender. Encino Mortgage Suite's three core products, Encino Mortgage, Encino Incentive Compensation, and Encino Mortgage Analytics unite the people, systems, and stages of the mortgage process. See how Encino can support a home ownership journey that your borrowers and your team will love at Encino.com. Economic data yesterday held some good news for U.S. consumers, with signs of improvement in the job market and some relief on mortgage rates. Initial jobless claims at 187,000 fell to the lowest level in over a year, a bigger drop than any forecaster expected. After two weeks of increases, mortgage rates fell to the lowest level in eight months, per the latest Freddie Mac primary mortgage market survey. For the week ending January 18th, the 30-year and 15-year mortgage rates fell 6 basis points and 11 basis points to 6.60% and 5.76%, respectively. Both rates have fallen more than 100 basis points from the October highs. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back to the show Polonsky Weil Green's Marty Green to talk about mortgage spreads, what 2024 is a year of transition in the mortgage industry, and potential ramifications of NAR lawsuits. In talking with you about what we were going to speak with today, you mentioned it's going to be a year of transition. Granted, at this time last year, people were predicting a recession and lower rates, and that didn't necessarily come to fruition. But when you say it's a year of transition, how do you mean that? I think it's going to be a variety of ways, uh, Robbie. I think that when you're you're going to be moving from a rising rate environment, transitioning to one that is generally going to be one that's uh, that's falling. Although I think that the falling rates are going to be kind of a bounce down rather than just a steady fall. But I think you're also going to be transitioning to more of a of a seller from a seller's market to more maybe more of a balanced market a little bit. So I think that's important. I think overarching, there's some other transitions that are going on just interest industry wide, where you're seeing consolidations that are starting to take place uh, with companies, as well as with just loan officers making a lot more moves than they have uh, prior to this. So I think you're seeing some transition there. And then one of them that I think we haven't, you know, we've started to hear people talk about is just the transition of what the real estate market is going to be in terms of the litigation with uh, with buyers agents and how they're paid and the, the National Association of Realtors and the big brokerage houses that were sued. And then there was the big judgment that came out of, uh, I think it's Kansas City. There's now been a whole spawning of additional lawsuits as a result of that. So I think you're going to transition to a different kind of structure with respect to that this year, too, because I think that one of the things that I sort of forecast for the year is that that litigation will get resolved in some way and that new rules will be in place uh, that will probably lead to lower commissions on the buyer side of the ledger. So I think there's going to be a transition there that everyone's going to have to get used to as well. And the industry has to adapt to that because up to now, I think we've all just assumed that the real estate commission was all on the seller side of the, the ledger because that's sort of the way it had been orchestrated. 
And I think that's going to change going forward, where at least it's not a given that that's what it's going to be. I think you'll see buyers having to pay some of their agents from time to time and, and how they do that will have to be taken into account in the underwriting uh, of the loans because uh, that that isn't something that we contemplate today. Holy smokes, you gave me a lot of ammo there. Uh, I'll, let's get to NAR in a second, but I, I want to talk about consolidation in the mortgage industry to start okay. here. Do you? I mean, I've heard numbers anywhere from 30 to 50, 60, 70% of mortgage staff versus this time last year, let's say, you know, a year and a half ago has been cut. Are we still, is the industry still not right-sized enough? Do you, do you foresee more uh, downsizing and consolidation for companies? I, I kind of do. I think that, you know, it, it, I guess it depends to some extent. I think if we saw enough rate improvement and we saw some uptick in business enough, I think that they're at a cusp of, of at least getting to a break-even point that would make it, uh, advantageous for them to 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 keep the staff but i think more likely is that you're going to either see a need for them to consolidate business getting more folks in either hiring loan officers getting some branches or maybe even companies that come together to better survive uh the, the remainder of what's out there in terms of this sort of market turmoil um and, and that's what i think you're going to see is probably more of that where you have that kind of consolidation because this is still a business that requires a certain amount of volume and a certain amount of scale for it to really be profitable. And so there's two ways to drive that. One is with more business and one of it is with fewer staff. And so I think you're probably going to see a combination for a lot of people that they're trying to get more production in, but they may be forced to cut additional staff. And people have gotten to where at least from what I'm hearing, it's people that they care about very deeply. They're, these are seasoned vets. These are people who have been with them for a long time. And so they're really cutting into the bone. So I think it's particularly painful this time in the cycle. In the wake of the pandemic, the Fed started buying more and more. I think the balance sheet swelled to over $9 trillion at, at one point. If we were to see more runoff or the Fed begin to actively sell mortgage-backed securities, Obviously, that would drive the price down. That would push rates back up. Is this something you're paying attention to? Is it, should I have my mind elsewhere? You know, how important is this of an issue in this year? I think it could become important. I think that's an additional lever that the the Fed certainly has. That if they wanted to cool things in a particular space, particularly in the bond space or the mortgage space, that's a way for them to do it. I think that though, what they've said so far is that they're kind of okay with where they are in terms of. Uh, the way that the balance sheet is moving and that they will kind of anticipate going uh, just steady as she goes from here. So it's probably not something that needs to be a front burner item. But I think if you saw something change and you certainly saw something in one of the, I think they'll telegraph it to us. I think we'll hear it in, uh, in a meeting or two in advance of when they actually start doing that, uh, if they do change the strategy. But so it's it's good to have be mindful of and have on a back burner. But I don't think it's going to be a big driver this year based on what they've said so far. You know what else caught my eye, and maybe, maybe this will be of more interest to you, is the the yield curve inversion. And I think for a while the twos ten spread was inverted at sixty, seventy, eighty base points. It's down to about twenty now. Yeah. Last I checked, the the ten years just above. Uh, 4%, maybe around 4.1%. The two years at 4.3%. Is this market's pricing in less chance of a recession? Is like What what has caused it to shrink? And, and do you think that at some point in the near future, we'll get back toward a uh, positively sloping yield curve? 
I, I think you will get back to that. That's what history tells you is that, that that's a much more normal um, sort of scenario. Um, I think that you're absolutely right that it, the risk of a recession going down um, has probably uh, caused that that spread to melt a little bit uh, uh, or quite a bit. I think that at the end of the day, it's also that just people looking at what the Fed is uh, is anticipating in terms of interest rates and then what the market is anticipating in terms of interest rate reductions uh, this year, which they have the market at least is pricing in pretty significant ones. So I think that's also what's impacting that to to a large degree is is that scenario where they they see that term rates are coming down and uh, as a as a consequence that the uh, inversion of that should gradually melt away and I anticipate that it will probably later this year. You know, I wrote about this the other day in the newsletter that the Fed last cut rates in 2019 and they they cut 75 basis points. Uh Fed members have basically telegraphed 75 basis points is their likely scenario this year based on dot plot summary of economic project projections. Markets are pricing in up to 150 basis points of cuts as recently as a week or two ago. They've been forced to backtrack. <laughs> I'm a, It's almost a punchline at this point, the market exuberance or optimism getting ahead of the Fed. At what point is the market going to learn? Or is it just wishful thinking for eternity here? I think hope springs eternal to some extent. That's yeah. uh, certainly the case. But I, I actually think that they will do something more than three, but something less than six, what I would anticipate. I think, though, that maybe the Fed doesn't know some of the stresses that are in the economy that maybe the market kind of senses, because I've talked to some folks that are outside of the mortgage industry, have businesses that are completely unrelated, and they're telling me that time, things have gotten very, very tight for them. So I think that there may be uh, a lot more sort of stresses in the economy out there that might lead us to uh, more cuts than what the Fed is anticipating because that hasn't hit uh, the Fed's radar yet in terms of some of those perhaps. So maybe the market has a little better intel at this point than maybe the Fed does, but I think the market's still a little bit ahead of themselves in terms of anticipating six cuts for the year because I think that's overly optimistic. All right, we've jumped around quite a bit in this interview, and, and that's my doing. But I want to get back to something you mentioned at the start about NAR and the, the multi-billion dollar ruling out of Missouri last year. NAR is kind of getting hit from all directions. Who knows how many lawsuits and how many states it's going to end up being. But something you said that caught my ear was that you think it'll affect the buy side agent more than the sell side agent. Why, why do you view it that way? Well, because I think that the the way that if you read the case uh, that happened in in uh, in Kansas City, that was what the the thing was: is that the NAR rules and the local rules of the uh, of the realtor boards locally in terms of the multiple listing services kind of mandated that you protect that buyer's agent, and the seller, pay for it. And I, so that's the structure that's under attack: is that piece of it. And you know what this what studies have kind of showed is that uh, many many people who are buying a house identify it themselves before they ever engage a realtor. They buy they locate the house online, and then it's it's when they're really ready to make a contract offer that they might engage a realtor at that point. So it isn't uh, it's it's just a little bit of a different dynamic in terms of how that's sort of playing out with the the way the internet and and the information piece of that on the buyer side has sort of come out. Um, so I think that's where you're going to see the biggest piece of it because that's where the attack is. Uh, front, and that was certainly front and center in terms of what the uh, the district court did 
in the, the Kansas City case. So one more realtor-related question, but in sticking with the script of today's yep. episode, I'm going to jump around a little bit. I talk to a lot of millennials, and I actually host a weekly video show, or I guess we're changing it to monthly, called Mortgages with Millennials, where we, we get insights for the younger generation. A yep. lot of, or I would say the vast majority of the millennial cohort that I speak with finds a real estate agent before finding a mortgage company. You think that's the right order? Shouldn't people know what they should be qualified for before they go find an agent? Is is there any right or wrong? Or what's I don't know that there, there's a right or wrong sort of sequence of that, Robbie, but I do think that knowing what you can buy certainly makes a lot more sense before you start looking uh, in some ways. But I think there's an excitement to finding the house more than there is an excitement to finding the mortgage. And so uh, that's probably what leads it to be a sequence where they look for the realtor <laughs> first. Countertops are a lot more interesting than interest rates and those right. kinds of things. That's, that's very, very well put. Uh, I actually want to ask you before I let you go today. So you're based out of Texas. Uh, obviously, that's a huge market. What it, what's it been like in Texas? I have a lot of friends in Austin and they say, oh, it used to be a booming market, but we're seeing things on the east side of Interstate 35 sitting for longer. There aren't these bidding wars. Uh, we've seen some some price reduction. What are you seeing for the state as a whole? I, I think that that's pretty accurate that you're seeing. It's a, just a less frenzied market would be how I would describe it, not as nearly as frothy as it was. They're still very, very healthy in uh, pretty much across the state. But you do have certain homes in certain locations that if they're not perfectly priced, uh, they're, they're going to sit for a while. And then certain of those markets are going to have uh, – you know, the, the key buyer there is going to be a lot more interest rate sensitive. And so, so, so until interest rates kind of come down a little bit, you're not going to see as much activity in that, in that sector as you will in some of the other hotter areas. But what we do find is that if the house is well-priced and, uh, and it's in a good location, it moves pretty darn quickly. If you look, I was looking just the other day sort of to see where we are in terms of inventory comparatively, uh, and if you go back, it's it's not that far off inventory wise to what it was in 2019. So that was pre-pandemic. So that's not that's actually a healthy sign for the for folks who are looking for a home uh, in the spring because there's more uh, certainly more options out there for them. But what I do fear a little bit is that you will see uh, as interest rates do come down, you'll see a lot of pent up demand that hasn't been out there. One of the things that's been pretty slow is the sales pace. So once the sales pace picks up, I think that some of that excess inventory or some of that sort of necessary inventory may get taken up pretty quickly and you could be back into bidding wars pretty quickly. Well, it's an interesting point you bring up because I have friends that are on the sidelines now due to high rates and granted yep. rates have come down a little bit since mid-October. But what I tell them is, say rates come down, you're going to have all these people come off the sidelines and there's going to become bidding wars again. It's not like affordability is going to improve if rates drop. So it's almost like if you can get in the game, it's better to get in the game sooner rather than later, rather than trying to time the market and finding a deal that way. It's great advice. I think that if you can find the house that you like at, uh, at an, in, an interest rate and a payment you can afford, now is a great time to buy, particularly in places like Texas, where I do think that you're going to return to uh, a market where uh, there will be less and less inventory out there. And so you just don't have so much to choose from. And I think that's more problematic because you can find a new mortgage when rates go down, but it's hard to find a new house when they're, when they're going off the shelf as quickly as they did the la- earlier in the uh, 2020 in those time frames where we did see those uh, all of the bidding wars going on. Very well put. 
Well, until I have you back on the show next time, I will hypothesize that we can get people as excited about mortgages as they are about countertops. So you, you, <laughs> you figure that out. You're a better man than I am, Robbie. I appreciate the time. Appreciate you having me on. All right, sir. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hellos looking for an increase in inventory and homes for sale aren't seeing much help from builders. The overall direction of economic data recently has given Fed officials some cover to maintain their hawkish rhetoric. That is of little comfort to home builders, evidenced by housing starts falling in December for the first time since August. Housing starts showed a smaller than expected increase in December, coming in at 1.460 million when it was expected at 1.417 million. There's historically been a theory that an enemy of my enemy is my friend. We'll see. Something to keep an eye on is an expanded conflict in the Middle East. Pakistan's military carried out targeted strikes against militant hideouts in Iran on Thursday, responding to an attack by Tehran a day earlier. Historically, strife around the world leads to a flight to quality and the buying of U.S. fixed income securities. Now, not so much. Today's economic calendar sees some key data later this morning with existing home sales for December, a preliminary January look at Michigan sentiment, November tick data from the U.S. Treasury, and remarks from Fed Vice Chair of Supervision Barr and San Francisco Fed President Daly. We begin the day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Thursday's close, and the 10-year yielding 4.12 after closing yesterday at 4.14% on little financial news. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. We have some raw land, and I recently spent $6,500 on a registered black Angus bull. I put him out with the herd, but he just ate grass and wouldn't even look at a cow. I was beginning to think I'd pay more for the bull than he was worth. Anyway, I had the vet come and take a look at him. He said the bull was very healthy, but possibly just a little young, so he gave me some pills to feed him once per day. The bull started to service the cows within two days. All my cows. He even broke through the fence and bred with all my neighbor's cows. He's like a machine. I don't know what was in the pills that gave him, but they kind of taste like peppermint. <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Encino, makers of the Encino Mortgage Suite for the modern mortgage lender. Encino Mortgage Suite's three core products, Encino Mortgage, Encino Incentive Compensation, and Encino Mortgage Analytics unite the people, systems, and stages of the mortgage process. See how Encino can support a home ownership journey that your borrowers and your team will love at Encino.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at RobChrisman.com. Visit RobChrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, Search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcasts from.